Hello and welcome back to another episode of Treasure Time Podcast. I'm your host Sophia Giblin and in this episode I thought we would talk about playful ways to help children deal with fears, worries and anxiety. So as a play therapist I always want to deal with and tackle challenges that children have through play because play is their natural language. It's the way that they process the world. It's the way they express their fears, their desires, their concerns, their worries. And so we can create opportunities for children to play out what might be going on for them at home with us in a really safe and contained way so that they can kind of get it out of their system. The most important thing to remember that with any child and with any type of play, it's the relationship that you're creating with the child that has the most impact. So if you're creating safe space for you and your child to play together, that relationship time, that time of being present with them without a device, without a screen and just sitting down on the floor and playing together or snuggled up in bed reading a book or whatever it might be, that is the real rich time where you're giving them pure attachment sunshine. And when I say attachment sunshine, what I mean is you're giving them a space where you are predictable, consistent, calm, present, connected, warm. You can laugh together. You can be playful together. You might be touching. You might be hugging. You might be holding hands. And we call that attachment sunshine because it's that pure level of connection that we all need as humans, but especially children need it as they are learning how to navigate throughout this world as little people. What we're teaching our children very, very early on is how to respond to the world. And they're starting that process with us. They learn from us very, very early on who to trust, how to get their needs met, how to ask for things, how to behave, how to please others, how to get attention. They learn so much from us. And it's not just from our interactions with them on a one-to-one basis, but also in the way they watch us interacting with other people. So it's super important, as we've talked about before, to be a great role model to your child or to your children, especially in terms of how you connect, how you spend time together, and also how you use play together. I have a friend who came to me recently who said, my child's having trouble sleeping. He has a lot of fears and a lot of worries that seem to be cropping up at the moment and I'm not really sure what to do about it and what, what would you do as a play therapist how would you approach this and she was explaining to me that there's been a lot of change recently they'd moved house so he moved nursery and there was some other things going on in the family home which meant it life had been a little bit up in the air for a little while and they've landed in a great place and things are becoming more stable now but he's still showing that he has some signs of anxiety and worry Actually, let's not call it anxiety. Let's, let's call it fear. He is having some fears about going to sleep at night. And the reason I don't want to call it anxiety is because I think so often we can get into the habit of labeling people, children, as being anxious when anxiety is a normal response to scary situations. I much prefer to say he has some fears around, around the dark and being in his bedroom at night. And that's really normal for children of a certain age. It's a normal developmental milestone. It's something that happens when their imagination is growing faster than their reasoning skills. And children's imaginations are amazing. They're the most incredible and powerful things. Do you remember what it was like to be a child and just have this imagination where you could 
enter different worlds and make up different characters and meet different people and go on adventures in your just all in your imagination. Well, as much as that can be a positive force for children, it can also be a negative one, particularly when it comes to feeling scared because their imaginations just run wild with them. It can really take them to a place of fear and worry. And obviously we don't want our children to be in a place of fear and worry. We're always doing our best, but sometimes we might squash those feelings because that makes us feel a little bit uncomfortable. So what I would suggest that we do is we approach those feelings and we deal with them head on, but we deal with them in a playful way. We don't sit and talk about them like we would with other adults, but we actually find playful ways of engaging and processing and exploring together. So in this podcast episode, I'll talk to you about some of the ways in which you can do that. And hopefully you'll take away some really great tips. So in this specific scenario with my friend's child, he's only three and a half. So he's younger than the children that I would normally work with as a therapist. So he is in that developmental window of his imagination being really active, his brain being really active and growing very, very fast in his toddler years. And he has been saying that he was worried about there being skeletons and dinosaurs in his room and monsters and all those kind of scary things. They're all very normal things for children to say. We see skeletons, we see monsters in media, on TV, they might see it on YouTube or even at Halloween, which was not too long ago. There are scary looking things in our environment and children with an active imagination can kind of take those scary looking things and 10x them into moving, walking, talking things in within their immediate environment. So my friend said that what she had tried already was she had kind of tried the playful approach of doing some magic spells to get rid of the monsters and the skeletons, but also talking to him and saying, monsters aren't real, monsters don't exist. And mummy and daddy will always look after you and always make sure that you are safe. And she said to me, is that the right way to approach it? The first thing that I recognised was that actually, yes, it's great to talk to our children in very plain, honest language about what is real and what is not real. And the reason for that is because our children need to know that actually there is no such thing as a monster living under the bed. There is not a skeleton in the cupboard. There is not a ghost in their room. Although you might question, if you do believe in ghosts, you might think maybe there is a ghost in their room, but you wouldn't tell a child that. And the reason being that as soon as you confirm their thought and their belief about there being monsters, skeletons and ghosts, that's going to make them feel extra, extra scared. So the second thing that I said to her was, although the magic, the idea of putting some magic around the room for monsters is a playful one, it actually goes against the way that you were speaking to him and explaining things in quite clear, plain language, because it's contradictory. So on one hand, you're saying, monsters don't exist. On the other hand, you're saying, but let's put some magic around just in case. So you're kind of by accident putting a little seed of doubt in his mind about whether monsters are or are not real. And there is something else that I think a lot of parents use when it comes to monsters, which is called monster spray. I don't know if, if any of you have ever heard of it, but the idea is to fill up a bottle, a small spray bottle with water and kind of go around and spray the room with monster spray before the child goes to bed to kind of keep any monsters away. And my issue with that is that you're confirming to the child that monsters are real. There is a real threat that if they don't put enough spray around the room, the monster could get in and maybe it will land under their bed. Other things that I've heard of that have been used are sort of signs on the door that says like monsters go away, monsters not welcome. 
again, you're kind of saying monsters are real. And we don't want to do that. Honestly, that's just as plain and simple as that. We need to be communicating clearly with our children about what is reality and what is imagination. And even if you do believe in ghosts, I wouldn't recommend telling your children that you believe that ghosts are real. And this comes from personal experience. Because as a child, I grew up in a very religious household. And I was talked to about things like spirits and demons. And I can't tell you the levels of anxiety that that would bring me as a child because I had absolutely no protection against anything like that apart from prayer. And that left me feeling incredibly powerless as a child to actually protect myself. And I didn't know what was real and what wasn't. So I was hyper vigilant, looking out for ghosts all the time. If I was told that ghosts are not real, there is no such thing. I probably wouldn't have even been thinking about it and dreaming about them. I wouldn't have been looking for them, that's for sure. So this, these are the ways that children's imaginations can work. And as children get older, you can have different types of conversation with them. But really, I would keep it to black and white, plain reality. And I think there's something really important here about the way that we talk to our children. Children aren't always treated with the same respect that we treat other adults. And we often will kind of lie to them or give them the easy answer so that it stops them asking questions because that makes us feel more comfortable. But actually, we should be talking to them with the same level of respect that we would with other adults. And in every single one of those conversations that we have with our children, we remind them that we are the grown up. We are the ones that have it under control. We are the ones that are looking after them. So I think that conversation that my friend had with her son, even though he's very young, she intuitively managed it really, really well. That messaging of there's no such thing as monsters. There are no monsters under the bed. I'm just across the hall here. You can come and get me whenever you need me. You can come over and get me whenever you want. I'm already sort of thinking that there may be some resistance to saying that to a child because actually who wants their sleep disrupted? Nobody, of course. But giving children the option to come and be with us in the night when they're scared to give them reassurance in real time, in the moment when they need it, will help them over the long term to build better resilience, better independence and reduce their fear. And I sometimes think we're in a rush to push children to independence, to self-reliance, to self-regulation. And we forget that there's a step before that and it's called co-regulation. When your child comes to you scared and fearful, they need to borrow your brain and your nervous system to help them calm down. Once they've borrowed your calmness from you, just by being in your presence, by getting a hug, by getting a kiss, by getting a, a back rub or a hair stroke or whatever it might be, once they've calmed down, they've had that bit of co-regulation. Their nervous system is calmer. They're going to go back to bed and they're probably going to go back to sleep. And though it may take a few nights, maybe a few weeks of nights, depending on where they're at, over time, it should get less and less. And I know sometimes there can be that concern that like, well, if I let my child into my room or even into my bed, I'm teaching them that it's okay for them to be scared and to come and sleep with me whenever they want and they have to learn how to be independent. But independence comes from learning that you are safe. Independence comes from learning that you have somebody who has totally got your back all the time and is looking after you. Independence doesn't come from being forced to deal with things that we're not ready to deal with on our own when we're too young. That 
can induce a trauma response in children. It can create a hyper-independence where children believe that they can't rely on anyone and so they only rely on themselves and then they can bring that into adulthood with them. And it can become very difficult to have relationships because you're not used to being able to trust or rely on anybody. So what we can start doing when kids, when our kids are still very young is building into them that innate sense, that internal sense that they are safe and taken care of and looked after at all times by us. And that we recognize that at times they will need more reassurance than others. And so we can provide that to them in warm, consistent, predictable ways that will help them feel safe. So going back to the scenario with my friend, I suggested a playful way for her to help her son express the fears that he was having before bed in a very quick kind of playtime scenario. And because he was saying that he was scared of dinosaurs and skeletons, I suggested that she get, first of all, a dinosaur puppet. I had a look for skeleton puppets, but the skeleton puppets were actually a bit scary. The dinosaur puppets I could find were a little bit more child-friendly. So you don't want to get something that's actually scary. You want it to be like a cartoony version of the thing that the child is scared of. So I suggest that she gets one dinosaur puppet. I then suggested that she gets at least one other puppet to play with her son with. So one dinosaur and then the other puppet to be a protective force puppet. So we're now talking about how children use play symbolically and giving her son a puppet, a scary puppet to play with and then giving him also a protective puppet to play with against the scary puppet will allow him to process some of his fears around the scary dinosaurs and skeletons that he's having. So the protective puppet that I suggested that she get was a, a wizard, right? A wizard has magical powers. A wizard is normally a force for good. A wizard can protect himself and he can protect his friends and he can protect his family. He can protect his castle with his magic spells. And it's an interesting step from what she was intuitively already doing with the magic to keep the monsters away. This actually takes it into the realm of play, which is engaging with the imagination with the child and allowing the child to play out through their language, which is play, what protection against dinosaurs and scary monsters looks like in a scenario with his mum. So hopefully you're sticking with me for this, right? So in this scenario, there is one dinosaur puppet and there is one wizard puppet. And I suggested that she just create a space where she and him can play before bed. Now, I don't suggest that they do it necessarily right before bed because you don't know, some children get really hyped up with puppets and there can be quite a lot of uh, physical play when puppets come into the room. So maybe it's something that they do before bath time and then before bedtime. But they create a window of 10 minutes just to sit and connect and play. And because he's quite little, 10 minutes is definitely enough. But if, a ch if your child is a bit older, you could do more than 10 minutes. You could do 15 or 20 minutes. And in this play, just allow him to take the lead, to play out whatever it is that he's thinking and feeling. Allow him to create a scenario, to put the puppet somewhere in the room, to cast spells against it, to create protection for himself and just see what comes out. Now, this isn't any, there's no form of magic here in play. Children will naturally play out what they need to play out in a way that they need to do it. And they'll do that with you as their parent. You are their favorite playmate. So you can just sit and observe and be part of the play. You could have a puppet on your hand and you can let the child, let your child tell you exactly what to do and exactly how to do it. Even tell you exactly what to say so that they are 
having the opportunity to express and explore the play with you, express and explore their feelings around the scary monsters with you. And I suggested that if she wanted to take it one step further and if she wanted to, if she had a little bit of extra money to put towards getting some more puppets, there's another dynamic that she could include in this, in this little scenario. So we already have the dinosaur and we have the wizard. I suggested that she also get a puppet which represents a young child, which could represent her son in the scenario should he choose to pick it up and play with it. And then another protective force puppet, which was a grandmother. And the reason why I suggested she had a grandmother puppet is because I know that her little boy has a really strong relationship with his grandmother. He loves her to pieces and he finds her a great comfort and protective person in his life. So now there's a little dynamic of one scary monster, one protective wizard who can cast spells and look after anyone and everyone and can definitely defeat dinosaurs. A little young boy puppet who may feel vulnerable, who may feel scared at the beginning of the play who may actually defeat the dinosaur himself, who may not need the wizard's help, and that that little boy becomes part of the play as well, so you can understand kind of how he might be playing out with it. And then finally, the, the grandmother puppet, who can be a, a representation of a real-life protective force, somebody who is there to look after him, somebody who is always there thinking about him. And there you have a nice little range of symbolic play items that you can present to your child and allow them to take the play in the way that they want to. Now, I'm not suggesting that if you provided those puppets that the child would play exactly in that way, but by providing them, you're creating the opportunity and the space to give an outlet to the difficult feelings, give an outlet to the fear, give a space in which to explore it in a way that is very playful. And the other thing to remember is that in your role as a parent in within play with your child is to be an observer, to be more of an observer than a leader. When we use puppets with children, it's a way to help them to express what it is they're feeling without them having to directly verbalize it themselves. When they have a puppet on their hand, they can talk through the puppet. The puppet will say things that a child won't say themselves. The puppet will express their fears. The puppet will say how scared they are. The puppet will say how brave they are. So it gives children the opportunity to use that amazing imagination that they have to process and create and explore and express what is going on for them in the play. And we have the added benefit of creating that beautiful attachment sunshine just before bedtime. So to add to this, I suggested that they do the puppet playtime before the bath and then they have bedtime. And at bedtime, I suggested that they do two more things. The first being to take time to read a book together which they would do anyway, but I suggested a specific book, which is The Invisible String. The Invisible String is a book about attachment, essentially. It tells children that no matter where they are, they are always attached to the people that they love by an invisible piece of string. And this helps children to feel connected and attached. So that is a lovely reminder just before going to bed that you're always held in mind, you're always thought about, you're always connected to the people that love you and that you love. And the second thing that I suggest that she do is that she leaves something that is hers, something of hers with him at night. This is commonly known as a transitional object, but for the purpose of this podcast, I'm not going to talk about the theory of transitional objects, but rather how it works and why you would use it. So in this case, I said to my friend, do you have something that is yours that potentially smells like you that will remind your child of you something like a jumper 
or a scarf or a toy that you could leave with him so that when he goes to bed, he has that at night. And she said, oh, actually, I do have a teddy that he could cuddle. And so a teddy is the perfect transitional object to leave with him because at nighttime, she can say to him, this is mummy's teddy and you can give it a squeeze whenever you feel scared. So what I suggested that she do is that she give him the teddy and say, we look after this for mummy at night and you can give it back in the morning. And if you get scared at night, I want you to give the teddy a big squeeze and think about your favorite memory with mummy. So the idea being that the child has something that is a physical reminder of you. It's like a concrete object. Because the children have developed those really amazing imagination skills, but not the reasoning skills yet, they're going to be up in their heads, in their, living in their imagination. The presence of a physical object gives them something to actually anchor onto, something concrete to hold. And the idea being that he can give it a squeeze and think about his favorite memory of mummy at that time. Hopefully he can smell her on the teddy. It will remind him of her and he will remember that she gave it to him and she's just across the hall. And also he can go and see her if he needs. And so I suggest that she tries that every night until he is settled again. Until he feels less worried before going to bed. Until he gets to the point where he's sleeping through and no longer concerned about the skeletons and the monsters in his cupboard. It's a good idea to keep that transitional object going until you can see some change there. So those are the things that I suggested that she do. There are some other environmental things to think about as well with children's fears and anxiety and with children's fear and worry. Part of that is around the media and the things that they're exposed to, whether that be through TV or whether that be online. We can't always know what children are being exposed to online, unfortunately. And some of the content, especially if children are given a free reign over screens and have access to apps and different shows and you aren't able to police that all the time, you don't really know what they'll be seeing or coming up against. So there's definitely something about managing the environment that your child is in. And when I say environment, I mean it's everything that they consume, right? Through their eyes, through their mouths, what they're eating, what they're drinking before bed. It should all be geared up for winding down after school, playtime, connection time, conversation time, bath time, reading time, bedtime, not overstimulation just before bed. And even as adults, you know, we shouldn't be on our screens for about two hours before we go to bed. We should be good role models to our children as well for that. It's easier said than done, but I know that if I put my phone down and then go straight to bed, I'm not going to have a very good night's sleep. It's even more so for children because their imaginations are going. So we just want to be extra sensitive about what it is that they're consuming before bed what they're seeing during the day. And though we can't be, you know, wrapping children up in cotton wool and policing everything that they do, we can be really mindful about what we say yes to and what we say no to. So my friend suggested that she remove the iPad after nursery so that he wasn't having any screen time in the evening. And I said that was a great idea. And though she was a bit concerned about how he might respond to that, she's a little bit concerned that he will be upset, will cry might get a bit dysregulated, might get a bit unhappy. And she said, I'll just have to deal with that. And she's implemented it and he does cry, but he gets over it very quickly. And I said to her, 
Like if he never had the screen again, he probably would never remember that he ever had an iPad in the first place. Most of us don't remember what we were doing at three years old for play. It's better for him to be playing in the physical world than it is to be on a screen. And so even though it can be hard to say no, because we don't like making our children unhappy, we don't want to see them cry, we don't want to see them sad or upset, you can say no to children. You can say no. And it's your job to say no, especially in situations where it's in their best interest. So there are a few things that you can consider here in helping children to explore and express their fears and anxiety through play. This is just one great example of how we can use play to help children express and explore their fears and anxieties. And there are so many other ways that we can use play, but I highly, highly recommend it as a go-to strategy for helping children work through and process feelings, whether that be happy feelings or sad feelings or anxious feelings or worried feelings, whatever it might be, play will be the natural medium for them. It will be so natural for them. Even if it doesn't feel natural for us, they can teach us so much and we can learn so much about them, about our children through their play. So I definitely recommend giving it a go. And if you want to know exactly how to do child-led play, do check out Treasure Time. You'll hear a little bit more about it at the end of this podcast. I'd love to know how this landed with you. And if you have a topic that you'd like me to talk about on the Treasure Time podcast, please email me, send me a message, hello at treasuretime.co.uk. And you never know, you might get a whole podcast episode dedicated to you and your child's challenges and I can help you work through it. And that's it for today's podcast. If you're a parent looking to create stronger connections and nurture your child's well-being, I've got something special for you. I want to introduce you to Treasure Time, an innovative digital play course designed to teach emotional development through child-led play, my favourite thing. Imagine strengthening your relationship with your child, reducing stress and fostering a happy, healthy family dynamic all through the magic of play. Treasure Time offers bite-sized, fun instructional videos, engaging play dates and evidence-based techniques to improve communication with your child. By taking part in Treasure Time, you'll get six play dates to build that strong relationship with your child. You'll not only become a black belt play ninja, but you'll also gain valuable skills to enhance your child's emotional literacy and your own confidence in setting boundaries, being playful and finding new ways to communicate with your child. Having a strong relationship with your child has so many positive effects, including reducing power struggles, fewer challenges in getting your child to listen to you or to cooperate with what you want, fewer emotional outbursts, and when they do happen, you have more skills to help regulate yourself and your child. And the best benefit of all is a stronger, deeper connection with your child that will last throughout their lifetime. It's a transformative journey that lots of parents have already experienced. So if you're ready to embark on this exciting adventure with Treasure Time, just head over to the website today, treasuretime.co.uk. Use the code podcast for an extra 10% off the price and you'll get access to the full course today. It's a small investment for a lifetime of benefits. It's your guide to raising an emotionally intelligent child and it's just one click away. Remember, this is not just about play, it's about creating lasting connections and helping your child to grow up happy. Visit treasuretime.co.uk and start your playful journey today. Thank you for joining us. And until next time, keep playing, keep connecting and keep making those precious moments count. If you enjoyed this episode of the Treasure Time podcast, please head over to Apple or Spotify and leave us a five-star review and a comment so that we can reach more parents who are interested in learning about the power of play. See you next time.